We began the first of the year with a new series called Journey Life, uh, Lessons from Old Testament People of Faith, and uh, we've been focusing since the first Sunday in January on the story of Abraham, and we're bringing that to a conclusion today. Uh, We're going to be looking at really the last major story about Abraham, and the next week we'll be moving to the uh, character, Old Testament character, Job as we look at a very different type of uh, challenge that he faced in his life and how God intervened in him. And so, uh, again, Abraham today, finishing up, and then moving to Job next week. Appreciated so much John Micah last week. Like I said, got out of church up there in, in Ohio, brought up the Facebook post here while family was going in to get birthday cake at Costco. I sat out in the parking lot and uh, listened and participated in worship here and uh, appreciated John's lesson. One of the things John talked about last week as he looked at finally the birth of Isaac is how that Abraham learned three important lessons. Number one was patience. We've talked about that already. How do you learn how to wait? Promises. How do you trust in the promises of God? And then finally, waiting. I mean, I know patience and waiting kind of goes together, but really, you can wait and not be very patient. But Abraham had to learn how to be both patient and trust in his promises and to wait. I want to begin this last lesson on Abraham by giving you a very quick, just kind of survey of his life. But I want to point out specifically the struggles of faith that Abraham had from the moment God called him until we get to the story today. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is introduced actually in the latter part of chapter 11. But in chapter 12, God calls him and says basically to him, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your people, I want you to leave your family's household. You leave Ur of the Chaldees and you go to the land that I will show you and then I'm going to bless you. And so Abram leaves with his father Terah. They travel up to Haran, up in the northern part of the Mesopotamia uh, crescent there. And there Terah dies. Uh, Terah is a, is a worshiper of foreign gods. He's not a worshiper of the Lord God of Abraham. And so Abram's father was an adulterous man, and so he dies. And then Abram and Sarai and Lot all travel on down to the promised land. And so when they get into Canaan, they go to the area around Shechem, and they're just north of Jerusalem, and the Lord appears to him and again reestablishes this covenant. I'm going to give this all of this land to your offspring. And we watched as Abram there built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord and worshipped him. But then we're introduced to a series of stories. And the stories are all about the challenges that Abram experienced with this faith. I want you to look. This is chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. You go to verse 13, and they're traveling down into Egypt because a famine's come into the land. And the first thing you see is Abram turning to Sarai and saying, I need you to lie because if you tell them you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you, and so tell them you're my sister, so I'll be treated well. And we looked at that crazy story of Abram going down to Egypt, Pharaoh taking Sarai, and then God punishing Pharaoh because of what he had done. Pharaoh's like, what have you done to me? 
I mean, you said she was your sister, and you see Abram's unfaithfulness, but God's faithfulness. Fascinating story. And then you have, following that, a couple of chapters of where Abram, he has to go and rescue his nephew Lot and his family because of some kings that attacked. And, David, and, and Abram basically took the men in his household and went and brought all of that back. He gets back. God appears to him. I'm sure because Abram's thinking, what in the world have I done? I mean, I've just gone out and attacked these, these four kings who I'm sure is going to come back and, and, take care of, and you know, take care of me. And God appears and says, listen, Abram, I've got your back. I'm your shield. Don't worry about this. And Abram then takes that opportunity to complain to God. Look at what he says to him. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You, you God, have given me no children. And so he fires back at God and says, you told me you would bless me, but we don't have any kids. How is that a blessing? And so God takes him out tells him to look up in the sky. Your descendants will be like the stars of heaven. He then makes a covenant with him. And you think, all right, Abraham's finally gotten it. I don't think so. You go to the next chapter and Sarai comes to Abram and says, listen, God's obviously needing help to fulfill this promise. Why don't you go sleep with my slave Hagar and maybe I can start a family through her. As we mentioned a couple of three weeks ago, Abram looked at her and said, No, I'm a righteous man. I'll never do that. Well, if you were here, you know that's not right. Instead, Abram goes, Okay, you know. And, and Hagar gets pregnant, and Ishmael is born, and then all chaos breaks out. I mean, instead of Sarai being excited because she's got a son through her, her slave, Instead, she's furious because her slave's now treating her with contempt. And this plan they had, which was not God's plan, blows up in their face. And you're like, wow, that wasn't good. And then finally, God comes to uh, Abram, changes his name to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, and says, listen, you're now going to have a descendant. And Abram says, will a son be born to a man? I'm 99 years old. By the time he gets here, I'll be 100. Sarah will be 90. Are you serious, God? This is nuts. He says, if only Ishmael could live under, you know, uh, your blessings. And God says, no. I'm going to take care of Ishmael, but he's not the child I promised. And so Abraham and Sarah started building a nursery, and sure enough, but before that, Before the baby comes, watch what happens. Now, Abram moved on from there, and while he stayed in Gerar, there Abraham said of his wife Sarah again, this is now like 12, 15 years later, uh, she's my sister, king of Gerar takes Sarah and is going to make her one of his wives. You're thinking, how old is the king of Gerar? I don't know. You know? But he evidently thinks this this 89-year-old woman's good-looking. And so he takes her, and and God prevents them from coming together, appears to Abimelech in a dream, and says to him, you're a dead man. 
And Abimelech is like, whoa, 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 why? Because you've taken another man's wife. I didn't know that. He said it was his sister, and here you go through Egypt all over again. Sarah lied. Abraham lied. And at some point in time, you think, what's the deal with them? And, and, and the deal with them is that they just really struggle to believe that God is going to finally fulfill this promise. But he does. Sarah became pregnant bore a son to Abram in his old age, and at the very time God had promised him. I mean, it finally happened, and you think, awesome, this is great, everything now is going to be, you know, roses, and then all at once, as, as Isaac is starting to grow, and he's about to be weaned, and, and Ishmael is there as they're celebrating this milestone in Isaac's life, and Ishmael begins to make fun of Isaac. Sarah sees it, goes to Abraham, and look at what? She said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. It was her son. But it was also Abraham's son. I mean, Sarah wasn't asking Abram to get rid of a slave's child. She's asking Abraham to get rid of his child. And Abraham's torn up. Abraham's like, what? And then God intervenes again and says, do like she's asked, I'll take care of Ishmael. He'll become a great nation, trust me. And so Abraham sends them away. And you're like, wow. I thought with the birth of Isaac, everything would clear up. And what we see in Abraham is this spiritual roller coaster. I mean, one moment he's up, one moment he's down. One moment he's telling the truth, the next moment he's lying. One moment he's trusting in God, next moment he doesn't think God can handle it. Can I ask you a question? Sound familiar? I mean, I mean, have you ever thought, okay, God, you blessed our marriage, and so this marriage is going to last forever, and then all at once you're in divorce court, and you're going, God, I don't know what happened. Or, or, or maybe you've got that child that you raised and you brought them to church every time the doors were open. They were active in the youth group. And I mean, you instilled that faith in them only to have them turn from their faith and no longer walk with God. And you're like, God, what just happened? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's the job that you've had and you thought, I'm going to retire at this particular job. And the next thing you know, the company's downsizing. And guess what? They start with those who have been there the longest. And you're the first one to get the pink slip. I mean, I don't know about you, but my life has been a spiritual roller coaster. I mean, there have been highs, but there have been lows. There have been moments of victory, but there have been moments also of incredible discouragement. And I think that's true of all of us. And, and, and so you, you look at Abraham and you think, what in the world is going on? And then God says, but can I tell you one more story? You see, there's one more story about Abraham. In fact, it's a story that is a test. It's the last test. It's his final exam. And would you just kind of take a few moments and pause and get into this story? And here's what I want to ask you to do for just the next few minutes. I need you, first of all, to use your head. I want to ask you to 
to think along with Abraham. But I also want you to use your heart. I want you to stop long enough to feel what Abraham was feeling. And, and I want you to just get into the intensity of this moment because this is a story that's an amazing story because, you see, this story is not only the story, the final test of Abraham, but it's also a preview of the story of God. I mean, we're fixing to read a story that if you're not careful, you read it on the surface level, the whole time God is saying, you really think that's all this is about? Now, we could spend weeks looking at this next chapter. We're going to do it in about 20 minutes. But I hope that you will see the little glimpses that God's trying to communicate to us in this story. So let's jump in. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Final example. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now the problem we have is we come to a text like this, we read through it, and then we... Go to the next verse. You can't do that. You, this, this verse right here has to be unpacked. You have got to dwell on it. And so let's dwell on it just for a moment here. Then God said, take your son. I want you to hear those words. Take your daughter. Take that person who is most precious to you. I mean, if you've had children, and I know not everyone's had children, but if you've had children, you know what it's like to be there at the hospital and go, what in the world have I done? Right? I mean, I, I stood there at, at the hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, when our, our oldest son was born, and, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm watching everything unfold, and I'm like, Les, what in the world have you done? You're not ready for this. You're not. I was talking to John this morning. John and Jennifer, by the way, y'all, you know, they're, they're empty nesters now. They are empty nesters. I mean, Luke's off school, Jack's off school. They have all this time on their hands. That's what they did yesterday. Four grandbabies. Four grandbabies all day long. And then last night, two of them into the night. I said, John, how you doing? He said, well, I've been up since, what, 3.30? 3.30. I said, 3.30. He said, yeah. One of the grandbabies started crying. Just kept crying. So I got up. She cried and she cried and she cried. And she said, in fact, last night when I had all four of them, said they'd be doing fine until one of them start crying. Then the next one start crying. You know how babies are. And I'm like, by the way, how's life with the kids grown? <laughs> you know, wow. Isn't this great? Your only son. You take your son, and then he goes to the next one, your only son. And, of course, Abraham would have said, whoa, whoa, Lord, I've got, you know, Ishmael. He's my son. Yes. But that phrase there, your only son, goes back to John 3.16 that we had a few moments ago. It goes back to John 3.16 and, and that statement of where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Oh, King James used to say only begotten. But, but the word there was probably not translated as accurately as it should. The word doesn't mean the only one begotten. It means one of a kind, unique, special. 
And that's the language that's being used. You take your son, but it's not just your son. Ishmael's your son. But you take the one that is unique, the one that is special. All right, feel it. God's asking you to take one, and, and in the case of most of us, the very thing we would give our own lives for. I would die for my two boys in a heartbeat. I would die for my three grandsons in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even hesitate for a second if I needed to step in and, and, and protect them. I think that's the way most of us feel. And so God comes and says, I want you to take your son. I want you to take your only son. And then if that's not enough, God says, okay, let's, let's make it feel a little bit more intense. The one you love. Now, wait a minute. Don't, didn't he love Ishmael? Of course he loved Ishmael. But here was a son that God had promised through Sarah. And finally he had been born when Abraham is, is, Abraham is 100 years old. Now, 13, 14, 15 years have passed. He's watched him become a young teenager. You take this son, your only son, whom you love. Wow. And then God says, are you feeling it yet? How about this? By the way, his name's Isaac. I don't know how you pick the names for your kids. You know, sometimes we put a lot of thought into it. Sometimes you don't. I've oftentimes said if there was anybody who didn't put any thought in a name, it was my mama. Goodness gracious. I asked mother one time, I said, where did you get the name Leslie? And she said, I saw it on television. Why not name me Captain Kangaroo then? Goodness gracious. It's not a reason to give somebody a name. You know, my dad was named after his two grandparents. At least his names meant something. You know, Leslie, you know? And, and y'all just got to realize, though, my, my family, they were weird as weird could be. <laughs> my, my, my uncle passed away this last week. I was down Tuesday in North Mississippi performing his funeral. He was born in 1940 in the middle of a snowstorm. My grandfather delivered him because couldn't get anybody down to the house. Three, four inches of snow, it was like, right around zero, incredible, horrible weather at the time. He was the fourth one born, my dad's fourth brother down. Granddaddy delivered him. Grandmother looked at him and said, what are we going to name him? Granddaddy said, I don't know. And so grandmother said, didn't you go to the picture show the other day? Boy, this is starting to sound familiar, isn't it? And granddaddy said, yeah. He said, who would you watch? Well, I watched Roy Rogers and Charles Sterrett. Now, most of you have heard of Roy Rogers. If you never... Anybody ever heard of Charles Starrett? Anybody? Handful? Charles Starrett holds the record in appearing in more movies than any other actor in history. 131 westerns all produced through Columbia Films. He was the Tom Hanks, you know, he, 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 he was the big actor of the 20s and 30s and 40s. And so grandmother said, well, let's just name him Charles Starrett. And I'm like, yeah, I put a lot of thought in that one, didn't you? Isaac meant something. Isaac meant laughter. 
And God's the one that picked the name. Because Abraham laughed and just kind of like, you got to be kidding me. Sarah laughed in disbelief. And God said, because you both laughed, you'll always remember that because you're going to name him Laughter. You take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and you go to the region of Moriah. Again, if you don't know where Moriah is, it's where Solomon would build a temple a thousand years later. Mount Moriah is the temple mount in Jerusalem. You go to the region of Moriah, and there you sacrifice him. Y'all think about that. Abraham had sacrificed on many occasions. He knew what was involved in sacrificing something. God, you're asking me to do what? Well, let's make it a little bit more intense. Don't just sacrifice him, but offer him that you set him on fire and you watch him burn. If you can't feel that, if you can't stop for a moment and, and sense what Abraham is going through, you cannot get into the story. But it wasn't just his heart. I mean, he, you, you have to move to his head. And what's fascinating is what happens next. Look at the text. What was Abraham thinking at this moment? And, and that's what's going to happen now for the next several verses. I mean, the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Again, you've got to feel that. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. I mean, can you imagine him out there chopping wood, knowing that this wood is what would set his son on fire? And, you, and then he set out for the place God had told him. Can I ask you a question? You think he slept that night? Let's say God appeared to him on a Sunday and told him, you need to go and offer your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac. You sacrifice him and offer him as a burnt offering. You think he slept that night? Would you? I mean, what in the world was he thinking? As he laid there knowing in the morning, we're going to go off and I'm going to fulfill what God has asked me to do on the third day. He leaves Monday morning. You think he slept Monday night? Or Tuesday night? And Wednesday, he looks up and he sees the mountain in the distance? What in the world has he been thinking? And of course, the text is just as silent as it can be, at least right now. And so when they get there, he says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and... And for the first time, you get a little bit of a glimpse into what he's thinking. A little bit. We will worship and then we, not I, we will come back to you. And now you're left to wonder what in the world is going through his mind. And so Abraham takes the wood for the burnt offering. Can you picture him putting this on the back of Isaac? The wood? But more than that, can you see him as he picks up the knife that he knows he's going to use to kill his own son and the fire that, I mean, this, this pot with coals in it that will set his son ablaze? I mean, can you picture as he picks those up and as Isaac walks in front of him with all of this wood on his back and you got to know, what in the world 
Abraham, are you thinking? As the two of them went up together, Isaac spoke. First time. Now, I think they spoke for, you know, during that three days, surely there were conversations. But for the text, this is the first time where there's conversation. And Isaac's the one that speaks up. That son, that only son, whom he loved, whose name means laughter, but Abram's not laughing right now. Father, yes, my son. Listen, listen to those words. Is there a more precious word? Maybe, maybe mama is. But mama and, and, and father, mother and father, mom and dad. Listen, there's nothing in the world we love better than picking up the phone and hearing, hey, dad, you know, hey, mom. Maybe Granny and, you know, Gigi or I'm Pops. Those are pretty good words too. Father, yes, my son. The fire and wood are here. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? How does Abraham answer that one? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, previews. Mount Moriah previews God will provide he's going to take care of it and the two of them went on together wow when they reached the place God had told them about Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood on it he bound his son Isaac son you need to put your hands behind your back why you don't have to trust me then he binds his feet And then this 112, 115-year-old man, I suspect without a problem at all, lifts his teenage son and sets him on the altar. What's he thinking? He's built an altar with his own hands. He's put the wood on it with his own hands. And now he's bound his own son and placed him on the altar. What's he thinking? What would you be thinking? Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. What's amazing to me about the story is that the Abraham who would lie, the Abraham who would argue, the Abraham who would accuse God, the Abraham who had tried to go around the plan, the Abraham that would do everything in the world that's the opposite of faith, all at once does nothing but obey God every step of the way without saying a word, except when his son asked him. And so you've got to ask, what in the world was he thinking? As he lifted this knife to cut his son's throat, what's he thinking? And here's what's amazing about it. We don't have to wonder. The Holy Spirit tells us. You see, that's what I love about this story is that some 2,000 years later, the Holy Spirit says, by the way, if you've ever wondered what was going on, can I just tell you? The Hebrew writer says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac. I want you to look at the language there. He offered him. Well, well, he was going to offer him. He didn't. He offered him. Well, no, no, it it goes on to say he was about to do it. No, he offered him. You see, the Hebrew writer is saying right up here, Abraham had already done it. He had already made the commitment. 
when the test came, he already knew the answer. And that answer is, whatever God you ask me to do, I'm going to do it. And let me tell you, this week you will be tested. Now, there's a difference between test and temptation. And oftentimes they are intertwined, so it's hard to know, okay, where is God testing and where is, where is Satan tempting? But you will be tested, I promise you. We all are. And the question that God asks is, have you already made up your mind how you're going to approach the test? Abraham had. Look at what it says. He who had embraced the promises, he had embraced them, no doubts anymore, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. There's the same language coming straight out of Genesis chapter 22. Even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. The great contradiction. And then look at what he was thinking. Abraham reasoned. Abraham had looked at what God had asked him and said, I don't know what God has planned, but I know what he will ultimately do if he has to. He can even raise Isaac from the dead. And with that, the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Stop. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Stan's got a lesson that we're going to be studying here in the auditorium upstairs in, in my class of, of the fact that this angel of the Lord and the Lord's really interchangeable. They're the same one. But I want you to notice there, now I know. God already knew. You see, the test is not for God. The test is for Abraham. That's the way all tests are. I mean, tests are not something that your teacher gives you just to punish you. Tests are there to say, okay, here's what you've learned and here's what you don't know. What has Abraham learned? He's learned that God's going to fulfill his promise no matter what. And so really, now you know. He's talking about Abraham. Now you know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns, and he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Don't miss that. God saying, see what Abraham did? I'm going to do that. 22.14, so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And it said to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it will provide it. The Lord will provide. God's got this. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies, the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations. That's us. All nations are going to be blessed. And you stop for a second in chapter 22, verse 18, and you say, isn't that what he said in chapter 12, verse 3? It was. It's come full circle. But let's go back. Abraham looked, and there in the thicket he saw a ram. And that was offered instead of his son. And God's hoping that we will have the ability to see in the Gospels, this now playing out in reality, as John looked and saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. You see, God is the Father who offered His only Son, whom He loved, whose name was Jesus, in our place, so that we might be saved. That is the story of Abraham. I don't know where you are in your journey of faith this morning. You may still be on that roller coaster. I'm still on the roller coaster. I've, I've not gotten to where Abraham was in, in chapter 22, where his faith was just solid as a rock. I hope one day maybe to get close. Maybe not. But one thing I do know is that God is always faithful. God has made his promises, and he wants us to believe them. He wants us to wait for them, and he wants us to live in them. And the promise of God is Jesus was sacrificed for you. He died in your place that you might have life. If you've never begun a journey with God, then why not in faith obey the gospel, be baptized, and begin that journey? I'll be down front. We have elders who are around afterwards. If you need prayers, they'll be glad to pray for you. Just let us know how we can help right now as we stand and sing.